Yeah. Wow, awesome. So good to be with you guys. How many of you are like at the end of a really busy week, feeling pretty tired, and the thought of bed is like super exciting for you right now? <laughs> yeah, most of us. Um, I feel, um, just firstly, it's such an honor to get to come and speak to you. Um, just uh, John asked me a couple of months ago now to come and, and speak and um, and really from that point onwards I felt like I had a word for you and we're gonna hopefully take a bit of a journey together over tonight and tomorrow and uh, we're actually gonna sit on a story that you'll find in Numbers uh, Numbers 13 so if you have your Bibles you can pull them out because that's kind of pretty much where we're gonna be and um I just as soon as I started thinking about you, as soon as I started praying for you, as soon as I started thinking about what it would be that I would share with you over the course of these next couple of days, we have this this window of time together. You guys have sacrificed time and energy and finance to be here. And I am absolutely believing that in the midst of that sacrifice, God will release his power and he will do things in your life that you could just you could never dream about. And so I have a I have a great expectation for this weekend. So in and amongst being tired, in and amongst busy weeks, in and amongst maybe all the things that are at the forefront of your mind, I just want to say God has got a great expectations for what he wants to do in you and through you this weekend. And some of you have come with situations, some of you have come with things that are really uh, are weighing heavy on you, health things, relational things. You come with stuff and you're just like, God, I need to meet with you because this stuff's really heavy. And I feel like the word of the Lord to you um, for this weekend is a word of hope. And really that is what I want to I, as a single issue, I want to go after with you. I want to go after hope and I want to go after encouraging you. You know, I think as believers, often we wander through life just with a desperate need for courage, to be encouraged. And it's one of the beautiful things about family, about church community, is that we get to be in one another's life, to encourage, to literally place courage in people's lives so that they can be people, so that we can be a people that we never could have been without the courage of God and the courage that comes through one another as we stir one another up. And so encourage you throughout this weekend to uh, get to know people you don't know as well, um, take opportunity to pray for one another, spend time with one another. I know there's bits of time for free time, go for walks with one another, just plow into this community because it's going to be and it is rich soil in which God wants to do some amazing things. So I want to talk to you about hope. I believe that hope is one of the most valuable things that we as believers, as we follow Jesus, ultimately, we know that we have Christ in us who is the hope of glory. There's a reality of who Jesus is that as he resides in us, that actually it's in his uh, being and in his nature to release hope. And I believe that hope is an incredibly powerful thing. I think hope is very strategic. I think hope is very transformational. I think hope is like a weapon. Uh, I think hope is like a foundation that we can lay in our lives, that we can build um, strength and we can build healthy things upon the foundation of hope. I think hope is this, um, is this beautiful gift that God gives us, um, but we also get to be a part of that gift as we steward hope, as we nurture hope. And sometimes, 
And maybe this is where you find yourself this weekend. Sometimes you have to fight for hope because hope seems like a long way away as you look at the circumstances of your life. But hope uh, is the incredible partnership between us and God. It's that incredible partnership between um, who God says he is, what he said he'll do, and our ability to live in that truth. Right? That's what hope is. Let me say that again. Hope is knowing who God is, knowing who he says he is, knowing what he said he will do, and us living our lives according to and in the reality of the truth of who God is. That's where hope begins to get nurtured in our lives because we begin to see who we are in the light of who God is. How many of you know that that changes? That's a game changer right there. Like whatever you're facing in life, to be able to look at that thing, to look at that relationship, to look at that thing you're going through in the light of who God is, it's a game changer. Changes the way that you view life. It's like the ultimate hope is the hope that we have in Jesus. And that was the game changer, that that Father God loved you so much that he moved heaven to earth in the life of Jesus. The ultimate game changer. So that as we accepted and we stepped into uh, an agreement with what Jesus did in the cross, we were thrust back into new life and new relationship with the Father. And he gave us hope. Not just hope for eternity, but hope hope for life walking with him now. And so I, I'm really passionate about hope. And I'm passionate about that the hope would come and land in your life. How many of you realize that if something is really precious to God, if something is really precious to us as believers, how many of you realize that those things become the number one target for the enemy to come and try and steal from us? Do you know that? Like that's something we have to wake up for. Anything, any area where we're growing in our walk with God and we find things that are really really valuable and precious and a part of knitting us together with God and strengthening us in the Lord, those things that are precious to us, we have to realize that those things are so precious that they're they're worth the enemy distracting us from those things, that the enemy will do whatever he can do to pull us away from the things that are really valuable. And let me tell you that the enemy, I absolutely believe, and I um, I, I see this in the community that I lead, but I, I see it in believers as, as I get to meet with people and talk with people. The, the number one thing that I find that the enemy loves to come and steal from people is hope. You know, a hopeless people is really a tired, weak people. Because the reality is, is, is for a, the body of Christ, for you and I as believers, full of hope, the enemy realizes we're, we're, we're dangerous to him when we're full of hope. Because we begin, we, we, when we have hope, we begin to see our future in the way that God defines it. And the enemy loves where he can do to say, well, your history, your past, that's, that's really what you should be looking at. But hope, when we have the lens of how God sees our future, we're filled with hope because we see a future. We have a, a hope and a future. Hope defines our future. So I think as we realize that, that hope is very precious, that it's something that we need to steward, it's something that we need to work in partnership with God as he gifts it to us, but that we contend for hope, that we also recognize that there's an enemy that would love to steal hope from us. You know, I, I actually believe that we, we're an army of people, we're the body of Christ, we're a family. You and I, 
When we're fully alive to hope, when we're fully connected to hope, we're dangerous to the enemy because he knows that people with hope not only have a promise, but they have a purpose. Like we as believers, when we live in hope, we don't just have promises over our life that are for our future. We have a purpose, a here and now purpose, and it's dangerous to the enemy. I also think that this infectious um, nature of hope is something that that when we step out into the world, when we step out into our schools, into our neighborhoods, into our workplaces, wherever it is that you find yourself, I actually think that hope is very infectious. Have you ever been around somebody that just has a, a really hope-filled perspective on their future? They're just like super happy about everything that's going on. You either go, it either goes one of two ways. You either get annoyed by them or you're super inspired. Like this person just has like the lens that they see the future with, like it's just full of hope and it's kind of contagious. I get around wherever I can. I get around people that, that, are, uh, that are strong in hope because I want it to rub off on me. I find it infectious. And I know that we as believers, like we carry the ultimate infection and that is Jesus. How many of you know that he wants to infect our, our streets, our neighborhoods with his love, with his grace, with his mercy. But he wants to infect our cities, our regions, our friends, our families with hope. He wants to revive hope. So right at the beginning of this weekend, I actually, I wrote a little declaration. I love doing declarations with our church family. Does, declarations really are, is, is what I'm going to do in a second. I'm just going to speak out some truth. And what declarations are really helpful for is when you speak out truth or someone speaks it out over your life, you can hear that truth and you can allow your life to line up with that truth. You can, in yourself, you can say, I, I agree with that. I want that for me. That, that declaration of what you see and what you're speaking out, like, I want that for me. And so I want to read over you some words that I wrote down for you, because I believe that, that hope is a declaration over this weekend, and it's a declaration over your future. And uh, declarations are, are incredibly powerful, because when words land on our lives, um, they open up our ability to respond to that truth, to respond to those those words and say, I agree. And maybe you'll agree for yourself. Maybe you'll agree for the person sat next to you. Maybe you just want to agree for this church family. But in whatever way you want to just respond and maybe agree with these words, I'd encourage you to do that. So just go ahead and, and if you want to, just close your eyes because I'm just going to read these words over you. If you want to uh, silently in your mind say amen or just go, yeah, I agree. You can say that out loud or in, in your mind. It doesn't really matter. Just respond in whatever way you feel like you need to. So I declare over you that seeds of hope would land in the landscape of your hearts tonight. That as this weekend moves forward, as you meet with the Father, as his Holy Spirit is poured out like water into your lives, that those seeds of hope would germinate. That life would begin to crack through the areas of dry ground in your heart and that things of beauty would begin to grow. This really is the narrative of heaven, that there is life where there was once death, that there are streams in the desert, that we get to trade out ashes and embers for beauty the joy would break through in places in your life that you had considered to be dead and buried. 
Let me tell you that the night may have seemed long, but the breaking of the dawn is around the corner. I can feel it for you. This is the story that God would write over this weekend. Refresh. 2016 will mark the beginning of a brand new day, a brand new story, hope restored, a new perspective on the future that you have that will glisten in only the way it can do when God breathes on you and lets you know that the way it was is not the way it has to be. When he meets you and says your past, it will not define your future. And even if there's areas in your life where you just look and say nothing could ever grow there, I believe that with hope, life will come. That hope would arise, that even in the brief time that we have together this weekend, that we would look back in weeks and in months and maybe even years and we would say, look what God did. Look what God did. Look what's growing in my life. So, Father, we just choose to declare over our lives that we're crossing over into a land of hope. That, Father, whatever we came with this weekend, we're crossing over into a life and a land of hope. In Jesus' name. Amen. So if you've got your Bibles, if you don't, there are Bibles in your room. How many of you spotted that? There are Bibles in your room. You could steal one of those. That'd be absolutely fine. I don't think you can ever get in trouble for stealing a Bible, right? <laughs> that's, that's a joke. Don't steal your Bible. We're in Numbers 13. So if you've got one of those vintage Bible things with paper, feel free to use those. But if you have been dragged into the 21st century and you have like some sort of digital thing in front of you, feel free to either. I know you won't be on Facebook because I know there's no reception. I've tried everywhere. I've run around this whole building. It's like a couple of bits of Wi-Fi and that's it. So get your Bible apps out, Numbers 13. Um, this story um, is, a, is a, the story that we're about to read, the story that actually we're going to spend the whole of the next um, few sessions together, just kind of springboarding off. I'm gonna, tomorrow I'm going to tell you some stories. I'm going to tell you uh, some fun anecdotes. I'm going to help you visualize some things around hope that I'll hopefully help you. Tonight's really boring. We're just going to go through the story and set the scene. But there's something God wants to do in laying the foundation in this story. So right, we, we find Israel... Uh, we find ourselves in the story of the nation of Israel at a really pivotal point in their history. We find Israel camped out right on the outskirts of what actually is their promised land. We know that Israel, Israel has left Egypt. Egypt was the place where they lived in bondage, in slavery. It was a time of oppression. In fact, we could say that Israel, in their whole history, it was the time when they were the most hopeless, Right? So Israel has come out of a place of hopelessness. And, and, Israel, and remember, when, when Israel was, was under slavery in Egypt, they were as far away from the promises that God had placed over their life as they possibly could be. You know, Israel knew that there were promises God had spoken over them, and they found themselves for a long extended period of time uh, as far away as possible from those being uh, slaves in Egypt. So we find ourselves um, at this point in the moment of their history. They've crossed over the Red Sea. We know that bit of the story. They've crossed over, seen God do incredible things. And they're standing at the brink of what they believe is their promised land. Um, Moses has got this inclination that actually the, this land that is over the way 
is their promised land, this, this, this land which actually the Bible talks about, a land flowing with milk and honey, and, and the Bible talks about it as being Israel's promised land. So you can imagine them, you know, they've seen slavery, they've seen the parting of the sea, they're now at the brink of, of what looks like to be their promise. You can imagine that, that Israel is at like their high point of hope, right? They've gone from desolation and hopelessness and they, in a very short period of time, are like our whole history promises and everything is just about, we're about to step into like everything, it's going to be amazing. And we pick up the story in Numbers 13. Verse 1, it says this, The Lord said to Moses, Send some men to explore the land of Canaan, which I'm giving to the Israelites. From, which, from each ancestral tribe, send one of its leaders. Okay, so, so here we are in the story. We now understand that, that God is speaking to Moses, and he's not, only saying, he's not only saying this might be, he's saying this is your promised land. And God is saying to Moses, I want you to gather up some men and I want you to send them to go and explore the land. So Moses gathers the men. Fast forward to verse 17. When Moses sent them to explore Canaan, he said this, go up to the Negev and on this hill uh, and on into the hill country. See what the land is like and whether the people uh, who live there are strong or weak, few or many. What kind of land do they live in? Is it good or bad? What kind of town do they live in? Are they unwalled or fortified? How's the soil? Is it fertile or poor? Are there trees in it or not? Do your best to bring back some of the fruit of the land. In other words, Moses has gathered these men. He's about to send them into the promised land just to check whether it is. But he's saying, in other words, bring me back a report on the things that you'll find, because I really need to know if this is the promised land or not. Right? We get the story. Sending some spies, sending some men into the land, because he wants to know, is this the land? So the spies go off into the land. They actually go uh, for 40 days. They observe, they explore, they find some fruit, and they come back to Moses. And we pick up the story as they return to an assembly of Israel, which basically means there were key leaders in the nation of Israel. And it would have been a large gathering, probably of a few hundred men from Israel. And basically, they knew that these men were coming back to report. And so the leaders of Israel got together because they wanted to know the expectations high. They wanted to know, is this, is this our land? Is this our land? So a lot's riding on what's about to happen, right? A lot's riding. Verse 26. They came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite um, community at Kadesh in the desert of Paran. There they reported to them and the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. They gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us, but it, uh, and it does flow with milk and honey. Now that was really important. As soon as the Israelites would have heard that, they would have gone, oh my goodness. That was literally the promise that God gave us. He said he would give us a land flowing with milk and honey. I don't even know what flowing milk and honey looks like, but they, you've got to understand, Israel are super stoked at this point. So they say, this is the report. It does flow with milk and honey. Here it is. Here is the fruit. So not only did they report back, but they go, look, here it is. Here's the fruit. Here's the evidence of, of this promise. Verse 28, but, but, 
The people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. So right at the point of high expectation, high excitement, high hope, comes the dashing report that, in fact, the people who live there are very powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. So at this point, you can imagine the gathered assembly. You can imagine the hundred, uh, hundreds or so of Israelites who have come um, to hear the, the good news. You can imagine the disappointment, the mass hysteria would have hit Israel. So much was riding on this. You know, so much was riding on this. And in fact, it, it appears that Israel's response in this moment to this terrible news, this big but, you know that song, we like big butts, but I cannot, it wasn't one of those. It was, a, it was a big but that actually was devastating to Israel, devastating. So much so that seemingly Israel responded in a loud and dramatic way because it says in verse 30, then Caleb, who was one of the leaders of Israel, silenced the people. You can imagine Caleb had to silence the people because right away they heard this bad news and they started Oh my goodness, grumbling, responding, probably weeping, probably tears. A lot was riding on this. So Caleb has to get up and he has to silence the people. And he tries in a vain attempt to bring Israel back on track. He says this, we should go up and take possession of the land for we can certainly do it. You know, this is Caleb as a leader trying to somehow, in the midst of mass hysteria, in the midst of Israel's devastation, in the midst of their going from a, a point of high hope to complete decimation, he's trying to, trying to somehow get things back on track. And then we hear some more from the people who'd been out, and the spy, gone. Uh, we hear more from the spies, verse 31. But the men who'd gone up with him said, we can't attack those people. They're stronger than we are. And they spread amongst the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. They said, the land we explored devours those living in it. That doesn't sound great. All the people we saw were of great size. We saw the Nephilim there. We, saw the, uh, we seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes as we looked, in, uh, as we looked the same to them. So in other translations, it talks, and we know, um, we know from, um, from the history that Nephilim were, were a large, the giant people. So effectively, they came back and said, there's no way these are giants that are living in the land. And they kind of eat people. So they, Israel goes from this massive, huge swing of complete high and exhilaration. This is our promised land to complete devastation. Because it wasn't as if they, you know, had any other plan. You know, the reality was that right there and then these spies, these reports that came back were, were juxtaposed. They're two different things. It's, it was like there's massive hope. This is your promised land. There's fruit. Here it is. But there's giants in the land. And those giants will eat you. These two reports came back. Land flowing with milk and honey. Their promised land. And the second report that this land was filled with, with giants and had a highly developed infrastructure. And the stark reality was that if Israel would even, even try to attempt to break into that city, that in all likelihood they would be killed. So what the spies effectively reported back were two very simple things. Hope, this is the promised land, 
and a reality. The reality that is, is and was the circumstances. There are giants in the land. Two things. Hope. This is the promised land. And reality. There are giants in the land. And all pandemonium breaks loose in Israel. There is absolute carnage. And at this point, again, the leaders try to step back in to bring some order. Finding Numbers 14, as we kind of, uh, kind of move through the story, Numbers 14, Joshua and Caleb, again, leaders of Israel, they step in. And it says this, Joshua and Caleb, who were among those who'd explored the land, tore their clothes which is an odd thing to do. And I kind of, I was thinking about this the other day. I was thinking, why would you tear your clothes? And immediately I thought about that moment. I have a, I now, I have a 10 year old, 11 year old daughter. She just turned 11. But I remember one day we were in Tesco's and she had a, uh, she was having just this crazy tantrum on the floor. She must've been two or three, crazy tantrum. And, uh, and I, in, in this sort of harebrained parenting scheme that I thought, I got down on the floor and tried to tantrum more than she did to try and shock. Have any parents ever done that? You just thought, you know what? My child is basically out of control. Let's see if I can shock them out of what's going on here. And I tried, I tried to out tantrum her in Tesco's and it didn't work and we were asked to leave. We, I was asked to leave. But I kind of feel like that's what Joshua and Caleb are doing. They're like, oh my goodness, the, the whole of Israel's having a tantrum. And they're like, all right, we're going to have to get their attention here. So they tear their clothes. And they said to the entire Israelite assembly, the land we passed through and, and explored is exceedingly good. They're trying to bring them back to the, 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 the fruit. They're trying to bring them back to hope. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into the land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and he'll give it to us. Only don't rebel against the Lord and don't be afraid of the people of the land because we will devour them. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. What these leaders are saying in this moment when, when Israel's having a tantrum is hold on to hope. Hold on to the promise that God's given us. Hold on and trust God. When the hope that you have is being contended and is being challenged, these leaders step up and say, hold firm, hold fast to the hope. Hold fast and hold firm to the promise. And so at that point, Israel is confronted with a, with a choice. Do we choose to hold fast and trust in God? Or do we choose to step into the reality of the circumstances that we find and let hope disappear and let hopelessness and general tantrums ensue? And the reality was for Israel is that actually they chose, they chose to remain in that place of tantrum and fear and, and disorder. They didn't choose hope. But actually what they chose to do is they chose to land themselves in disappointment. And we're going to talk about disappointment tomorrow because I feel like disappointment is the number one enemy of hope. Disappointment will literally rip you and steal your, your hope. But Israel had this moment where they were standing on the edge of their future. They were standing on the edge of their promise. They were standing on the edge of everything that God had said and wanted for them. And he was asking them and he was requiring of them in that moment, are you going to hold fast to hope? 
Are you going to hold fast to who I said I am? Are you going to hold fast to the promises? Or are you going to step away and find yourself landing in disappointment? And Israel did. Israel found themselves wandering around the desert for another 40 years, disillusioned and disappointed with God. Because ultimately they, they thought he'd let them down. When actually they were at the brink of their promise. They were at the edge of their future. Hope was literally at hand. In fact, it wasn't even at hand. Hope had been brought to them in the form of fruit. There was actual living, live, visible fruit, which was a picture of hope, a picture of their promise that was in front of them. And yet they chose to step away for fear. And I believe that's one of the choices that we get every single day. And for some of us, it's many, many times a day, that choice. Am I going to choose hope in the light of my circumstances? Or do we allow the pressure and the hard realities to move us to a place where we're disappointed? Disappointed in ourselves, disappointed with others, disappointed with God. In that choice where we get to choose hope or we choose disappointment where have we landed where have we found ourselves have we maybe even put ourselves out in a desert place because we've chosen just to remain disappointed when actually we were supposed to always live in hope it's the same for us as it was for Israel do we choose hope do we choose life do we choose disappointment and do we choose wandering in the desert what lies ahead of every single one of us is that choice of am I going to choose hope or am I going to choose disappointment? I want to say this, that hope is not just wishful thinking. I think sometimes the language doesn't really help us. You know, when we say, oh, I really hope it doesn't rain this weekend. Like that's just a circumstantial wish. Like we're just wishing that our circumstances were either one way or the other, Right. Does that make sense? Like that's, this is where we come unstuck because often we think that hope has something to do with our external circumstances. It's nothing to do with our external circumstances. Like true kingdom hope is about our ability to connect with who God really is, how big he is, how faithful he is, how trustworthy he is. And it's our ability to entrust ourselves to him. Like that's what biblical hope is. It's not as wishfully thinking that things might be different. It's not wishfully hoping that, that a circumstance might change. Because actually true hope in God is not di dictated to by whether our circumstances change or not. You know, spiritual hope is that depth of assurance that we get from who God is that allows us to see our future in the light of who he is and what he's promised over our lives. It's nothing to do with our circumstances. When we need hope in our lives, what we need is him. Let me say that again. When we need hope in our lives, in an area of our lives, what we really need is him. We think that what we need to have hope is for our circumstances to change, but we don't. We just need him. It's actually a very simple equation. 
We need him. It's not about being more determined and trying to feel more hopeful. It's about letting go and trusting God. This is where Israel found themselves. They chose the reality of the circumstances, the giants in the land, over the goodness and the nature and the trustworthiness of God. Isn't it funny that it was literally, it was literally weeks before that they'd seen God part the sea in order for them to move through. And yet all of a sudden, circumstances got a little tricky and they were like, oh, no, 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 we haven't got any hope anymore. They literally just walked through a sea. And now they were, they were, so, they were so guided by the circumstances around them. It's quite frightening. <laughs> you know, I believe that we need to walk in ever-increasing measures of hope. And therefore, I believe that we need to be walking in ever-more-increasing understanding and experience of God's presence with us. You know, hope really is not about our circumstances changing. I know there's been times in my life when I... I've tried for months and months uh, to, to build up hope in certain situations that I found hard or things that I was challenged with. I tried in my own strength to just think more positively, to try and have more hope. And then I found myself getting in God's presence, getting face to face with him and finding myself in a completely different place and finding myself in hope. Even when the circumstances around me weren't changing, I found myself in hope. Because hope isn't the changing of circumstances. It's my ability to see and know God's presence in every moment of my life, in every situation that I face. How many of you know that you can be facing uh, a relational breakdown. You can be facing losing your job. You can be facing all sorts of things in front of you. But when you place in front of you the lens of God's presence and him with you, all of those things change. They just change. And I believe that hope is a really important part of what God wants to do with us and with you this weekend. And over the, the tomorrow, over the couple of times which I get to share with you, I want to look at, at four key things and we'll jump back into this story and I'll tell you some other stories about me and I'll give you some anecdotes about hope. But I want to look at these four things and I'll tell you what they are now so, so it doesn't surprise you tomorrow. So you can have hope for tomorrow. I want to talk to you tomorrow about how we move from the why to the what's next. In short, so many of us, because we don't have a good grasp and a healthy understanding of hope, we revolve our lives around the question of why and we're never able to move on to what's next. I want to talk to you about hope, how hope helps you understand the season that you're in. I want to talk to you about the fact that the promises that are over your life, both generic promises that are overarching promises that every single that apply to every single one of us and also specific promises that are over your life they have a purpose and they are in fact an invitation for you to step into your future and i want to talk uh, i want to give you finally a key tomorrow um, about crossing over from the barren place to the fruitful place and i want to talk to you about how praise and thanksgiving really is the key from you moving from a place where you feel hopeless to full of hope. Is that all right? Yeah.
Well, so that three. What? No, it's good. It's good. Three was that we're going to talk about how promises have a purpose, and that they are in fact an invitation for you to step into your future. So I've painted the picture of the story of Israel. We're going to dive back into it. I'm going to. We're going to talk a little bit about um, the dynamic of what it looked like for Israel to to be faced with the giants in the land. And um, I feel like there's a lot that this, this passage, this story has to speak to us. But I want us to actually close out tonight the very place that we started. And actually we declared over ourselves in worship something that is so fundamental to this journey of hope. And I've talked about it and I've touched on it this evening. And that is that we, we learn to acknowledge and trust God in all things and in all seasons. That actually we can, we can bring to God whatever it is that we're facing in life and we can choose to trust him with our lives and we can allow him to breathe hope into those situations. Let me tell you, those situations might not change this weekend, but you will change because God will breathe on you as you learn to trust him with that thing, trust him with that relationship, trust him with your finances, with your job, whatever it is where you're feeling like, I just have no hope. And as you trust him again and you entrust yourself to him, he'll begin to give you hope. He'll begin to restore hope to you. So why don't you stand with me? I'm going to pray for you. These guys are going to lead us. And I just want us to use this song really again and I want you to bring to mind that thing that you've come away with this weekend. Maybe it's something that, maybe it's something you find it particularly challenging in life. Maybe it's a relationship that you find is really hard right now. Maybe it's a financial thing. Maybe it's a health thing. But whatever it is, and you're kind of looking at it and you're going, I've just gotten, there's no hope in, in that area of my life because of that thing. I want you to imagine that thing. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's a person. Whatever it is, I want you to just imagine. Close your eyes. Imagine that thing. And choose, even as you sing these words, to trust God with that thing, that relationship, that, that debt, that finance, that health thing. Just choose as you sing this song to say, God, I trust you. Would you come and fill me with hope? Because I trust you. Father God, I thank you for your presence with us this weekend. Father, I thank you that, that God, you are good all the time. You're good all the time. And we can, in every season of life, whatever it is that's ahead of us, that's challenging, we can trust you. We can lean back, not into our own understanding, but we can lean into the understanding that we have of you. And that is you are good, you're kind, you're faithful, you're trustworthy. So, Father, with all of our lives, we choose to lean into you. Tonight, we even put these words of trust onto our lips and we say that we trust you. We trust you. In Jesus' name.